Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning, PCC. Great to be with you. My name is Gary. Hey, I just want to give a shameless bless plug. Um, in the fall, we did this as well. We're trying really to get the whole church to pray over uh, the whole, as much of our community as possible. And when we did in the fall, the first name I wrote on there, that was a Sunday, and we prayed over that. And what I love about this, it really puts the responsibility where it belongs for blessing our neighbors to Jesus, and that is on Jesus. He is in charge of blessing people. And the first name I wrote there, I kid you not, I was getting gas somewhere where I don't usually get gas. The first name he pulls up at the gas station right next to me. And he's like, Gary. I'm like, whoa, Scott. And we were talking. He's like, we should get together for lunch. I'm like, wow, I'm already on E. This is awesome. Um, I cannot tell you how important this is uh, for us as a community. We want to bless our community, okay? And so we're really asking you, please, fill these out and turn them in. All right, grab your message notes, please, and uh, open them up, uh, and then open your Bibles if you have them, or turn them on to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, If you don't know where Nehemiah is, there's a table of contents in every Bible, or you can turn to uh, the middle of your Bible, that's Psalms, turn left a few books, and you'll find Nehemiah. I grew up in Marin, uh, and I spent, oh gosh, 21 years, 24 years of my life in Marin total, and uh, have probably crossed the Golden Gate Bridge hundreds of times, and it never gets old to me. Uh, Just last month, I was crossing the Golden Gate Bridge. It still takes my breath away for many reasons. It it was built and opened in 1937. Has anyone walked across the Golden Gate Bridge on opening day in 1937? Gotcha. Um, What's amazing about the Golden Gate Bridge is this. It was a phenomenon to build, especially in 37. You had strong currents in the water underneath. You had high winds above. And then you had it being built very near the San Andreas Fault, which would shake. And so there was a lot of question of how do we bridge this gap? And the only way they did it was through divers dynamiting deep into the bedrock under the water and then putting the bridge deck on wire so it could be flexible when the winds came. The Golden Gate Bridge can flex. Actually, in Loma Prieta, it swayed 27 feet uh, during Loma Prieta. When I lived in Moran, I was friends with an engineer, and I'm like, that's a disaster. And he's like, this is before Loma Prieta. And he said, no, 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 it's actually one of the safest places to be in an earthquake, unless you live in Nebraska. Uh, he said, because it's anchored into bedrock, and yet it's flexible up above with high winds. Anchored and flexible. Now, why am I sharing this story? Because I think all, all of us have three things in common. To see if you can relate to this. One, we're all building something with our lives. We're all building something. I hope in this church you're building your character. Uh, we're building community. We're endeavoring to be used by God to build a great redwood city. That's the vision of this church. Not a great church, but a great city. Uh, we're building relationships. Uh, whether you have roommates or kids or parents or brothers or sisters, we're all building something. We have that in common. Two, uh, it isn't getting any easier with time. Uh, We're building in a current of a culture which is going way too fast. 
And so we don't get the time to reflect. And the values are thrown at us in our face. And so we don't get the chance to really go, what is true? What, is, uh, what are the principles that will give me life? We're all building something. It isn't getting any easier. And here's the third thing. We all have to build on a solid foundation. Because of the cultural current and the pace of our culture, uh, if we're not anchored to something, we will just sway and give way to uh, end up in places none of us intended to end up. That anchoring and flexibility is really the meta theme of Nehemiah. Uh, he had a dislocated heart in Jerusalem, and he went to build something great, and yet he's finding, he's endeavoring to build something great, in this case it's a wall, that uh, there are tons of things competing against us. Let's see where we've been in this study. Look at the screen, a uh, little overview. Chapter 1 in the book of Nehemiah, it's a historical account about an engineer uh, who's a government official first, and he learns that the walls are broken down in Jerusalem, and his heart breaks. He doesn't understand why, but God touches his heart and says, this is something I want you to give your one and only life to, to a rebuilding project. Chapter 2, he travels uh, the large trek and long trek to Jerusalem, and he discovers himself the walls are down and does some inspection of the walls. Chapter 3, he says, we can't do this ourselves, but it is a great work of God, and I'm not going to let the fact that it's impossible stop me, because I serve the God of the impossible. Can I get an amen? Amen. So he gets the people organized. And then in chapter 4, we saw this last week, he's opposed. Uh, I, th I think Carlos showed you this slide last week. Every region around was opposing the re rebuilding of the walls. So from the outside, the neighbors didn't like that. And that happens in our own life. A lot of times when you're in a system that's unhealthy and you begin to get healthy, you get opposed. The people around you liked you better unhealthy. They profited off, uh, off of the unhealth in Nehemiah chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, where we are today, uh, Nehemiah is blindsided. He faces something more challenging, more insidious, way more challenging and paralyzing than any external opposition, than any of the rubble of the broken walls. Nehemiah 5 is a hinge chapter in the book. And if you're not familiar with PCC, we're, we're studying this because we believe, even though it was written 2,400 years ago, longer, way longer than that, uh, we believe it's relevant today to today. And there's principles in here that we can apply to our lives. We believe all the Bible is relevant to today. And in chapter 5, it's a hinge chapter in the whole book because the people are working on the walls. And what we're going to find in chapter 5, they go on strike. The people hold a revolt. They put down their mason tools and they say, no more. And they do internally what no one could do externally. They stop the work. What were they all upset about? Here, look in your notes, please, chapter, uh, page one. Here's the first thing that was going on in Nehemiah 5, the five complaints. First one is this, there was inflation. See if you can relate to any of these, by the way. Look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Who are they complaining against? Uh, by the way, if you're not used to being here, we do talk back. Who are they complaining against? They're fellow Jews. This is internal. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during the famine. What's going on? When Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, he called a ton of people to come with him. 
Uh, and the supply of people uh, and the demand of people increased greatly because there were a lot more people. Here's what didn't increase, the supply of food. And when you have high demand and low supply, you get inflation. So that's what's going on here, okay? By the way, when it gets really bad, you get price gouging. Uh, and that's what's going on in this region north of us, Santa Rosa, with the fires. Uh, I've been reading about that, and it's really easy. And this church responded in incredible, generous ways back in the fall when the fires hit. Uh, but people are still living without homes, and, and there's still great need going on out there. Uh, but what I've learned, not everybody, but people charging rents, normal houses that rent for $3,500 after the fire, rent shot up to $10,000. Contractors had charged X amount, of, not everybody, X amount an hour, an hour, it shot up way higher. That's called price gouging. That's actually illegal and there's tons of court cases going on. But the church is also swooping in and doing just the opposite, which is great, okay? I just put that before you as an, not just an illustration, but we got to keep praying for people in Santa, Barbara, in Santa Rosa and Montecito. Our whole state is in trouble. Okay, mortgage crisis. That's the second thing. Look at what they're saying. We're mortgaging our fields and vineyards, our homes. We can't afford these prices, so we'll go into debt for it. And a mortgage crisis hits the Jerusalem community while they're working their tail off to rebuild these walls. Look at page two and see what else goes on. This mortgage crisis was fueled by high debt. Still others were saying, we have to borrow money to eat. This isn't borrow money for a second home or for that, uh, a boat or something like that. We're borrowing money for food. And you'll see, and if you're taking notes, chapter 5, verse 11, they were being charged 12% annual interest every year for this money. The, the Jews saw the needs in their fellow community and jacked up the interest rates. Then, on top of that, high taxes. Look at verse 4. To pay the king's taxes in our fields and our vineyards. Now, look at this list so far, Right? Mortgage crisis, inflation, high debt, high taxes. You may go, gosh, is this Israel in 2400 BC or is this America in 2018? See how relevant God's word is? It's amazing to me. Now, look at the next thing that will happen. Whether you call it this or not, when you have those four factors in a community in despair and a sin nature inside of people, it always leads to this next factor, slavery. Slavery. Uh, look at the rest of the passage in verse 5. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to sub subject our sons and daughters to what? Slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. Now here's the, such a sad line. But we're powerless. You know, as you look outside on these walls and you see our community and really what's behind the pictures. As you cross the El Camino or you cross the Alameda or you cross Fifth Avenue or you cross North and see the homes, many people in those homes feel powerless. They feel at the whim of a culture that's out of control. Uh, we hold a lead pastor's gathering uh, for pastors in our community, and we just had one this week. And um, in the fall, I sent out a letter to all of our churches uh, that are Latino with what was going on. There's a great fear that was going on in our community with people mainly of Latino uh, descent. 
And I just wrote a letter to them saying, hey, I'm so sorry. And just want you to know at PCC, we're standing with you. You don't stand alone in this. So we had this gathering at Verbo Church, which is uh, right by Bay Road in Redwood City. It's south of El Camino, it's east of El Camino and south, uh, and right around Fifth Street by Fair Oaks School. As I was leaving, the pastor of Verbo, his name's Orlando, he grabbed me and he said, thank you so much for that letter. You have no idea what it means to know that we're not alone. Our people in our church, they're afraid to even come to church because of what's going on in our community. Now, all politics aside, I don't think any of you felt fear, maybe, of getting in your car and gathering as a church. There's so many people in our community that feel powerless. And that's what they felt in the community. Right here in Nehemiah chapter 5. We're powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. And that day when you would uh, take out a loan, you obviously don't have collateral. What would you do? You'd put your wife up as collateral. Or you'd put your daughter up as collateral. Jesus told a whole parable about this. And it's not just happening in that day. It's happening today. Do you know that this still takes place in places like India? Where right now there are millions and millions of children and women who've been put up as collateral, not because of them, they're powerless. And so for their whole lives, they have to work as slaves. Not because of something they did, but because of sin put on them. So this great work of God was halted, not because of external opposition. It was halted because of something internal in the community. And I want to be really sensitive in these next five minutes with you because I think as I swam upstream, I saw where they went awry. And it was this at some point, they thought that God's principles didn't apply to them. God was very clear in the first five books of the Bible when he called Israel into being. He said, you know what, I'm not asking you to be a nation. I'm not gathering you as a people because you're the best or you're the brightest or even because you're the biggest. You are going to be a walking, living metaphor of, for the whole world of what happens when one small community lives under my blessing because they're living within my boundaries. Did you catch that? Lives under my blessing because they live within my boundaries. And God was very clear. I'll give you my boundaries. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. At some point, the Israelite, the Israelite community in Jerusalem said, you know what? That was good for them. It doesn't apply to me. Doesn't apply to me at all. And they strayed from God's boundaries. Uh, for instance, this was the boundary, and you can see it all over Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 23, for the Israelite community. Don't charge a fellow Israelite interest. Is that pretty clear to anybody? Yeah. Don't do it. Why not? Whether money, food, or anything else, that, you may, uh, that may earn interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a fellow Israelite interest. And maybe you don't know this, but every time God puts up prohibitive command in Scripture, he always links it to a motive. God isn't that parent that says, don't do it. Why not? Because I said so. That's not God. 
God's motive for his prohibitive commands, God's motive for his principles and his lanes is always down, it always comes down to these two things, to protect you or to provide for you. I just want to say that is why I get excited. Don't always follow them. And I learn there's grace when I go against them, but I get excited about God's prohibitive commands because within those lanes is God's protection and God's provision. And that's what God wanted for the Israelite community. Look at the, look at the uh, motive here. Why don't we charge interest? So that the Lord your God may what? Okay, we'll try this one more time. Good. So that the Lord your God may bless you. How many, don't raise your hand, but would love to live under the blessing of God, right? Or raise your hand. How many of you would love to live under the blessing of God? Gang, I'm going to tell you this. It's not rocket science. When you live within God's boundaries, you live under God's blessing. God has clear boundaries. And at times when you think, gosh, why can't I be gluttonous? Why can't I have that whole cake? God says, it will not bless you or go well with you. (laughs) Why can't I have greed? Why can't I keep more? Because it will not go well for you or for the community. Trust me, God says. I've created boundaries. My daughter is 16 and one of them, and she's a great driver. She's learning how to drive. She doesn't have her license yet. She has her permit. And I'll tell you what, when we go driving, we drove yesterday, uh, I thank God for lanes. And speed limits and stop signs, right? The same is true morally. And I just want to say, no wonder, this isn't a Bible, but pretend it is. Mine's in my pew. No wonder every time, and I'm a paid Christian, right? I'm a professional. I am paid to know this and read this book. Every time I go to open it, a ton of thoughts go through my mind. Don't do that. That doesn't apply to you. That's stupid. Don't. It happened yesterday morning before taking my daughter driving. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to flourish, to thrive. God wants a community to thrive. And so he says, you've got to thrive, but there's boundaries for thriving. I wish I knew this earlier. I wish I knew this in my teens. I wasn't even walking with God in my teens. I wish I really had this core conviction in my 20s started to come around to it in my 30s, but I still carry scars, and other people do too, from not holding this as a core conviction. And that's what was going on in the community. So this dialogue bubble, boop, pops above Nehemiah's head, and he goes, oh my gosh, I've been all about rebuilding a wall. I've got to rebuild the spiritual heart of a community first, and then we can get to rebuilding the wall. And the next section of your notes, and we're not going to go through all four of these, but the next section of your notes, we're not going to take a deep dive in here, are the four principles Nehemiah walked through to rebuild the heart spiritually of a community. And I offer them to you because we're all rebuilding, right? Maybe you're rebuilding a marriage that has grown flat. Maybe you're rebuilding character in your life that you know you've been convicted of. And you're thinking, I can't do this. Maybe you're rebuilding an aspect of your community and your neighborhood and thinking, you know what? There should be more community in this neighborhood. Maybe it's a strayed kid that has wandered away from God and wandered away from you. 
Whatever we're doing, we're all building something, and I think this will bring value to all of us. What did he do? Here's the first thing. He took it seriously. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. He said, now I'm mad. That's the sense of the Hebrew. Not this upsets me. He was angry. Why? He had seen firsthand the God-appointed consequences of the compromise. God didn't design people to live powerless at the sake of a brother or sister. And he's like, this is terrible. This shouldn't be happening. He saw the domino effect of sin, right? Let's just look with me. High food prices led to inflation, which led to price gouging, which led to indebtedness, which led to a mortgage crisis, which ultimately resulted in enslaved workers. See the domino effect? They just thought we're charging interest. But no, now the Israelites are enslaved to each other. Many times we don't see the ripple effect of our sin. We don't. About 10 years ago, uh, I was dealing with longer than that, 13 years ago, dealing with an issue of anger, out of bounds anger in my life. And I've told the story before where I, was, I kept justifying it by using other terms for it, right? We do that, right, with our language. We call it something that's more palatable so the sin isn't as bad. Does anyone else do that or am I the only one? Okay. So, um, so I didn't realize the ripple effect until my wife came to me in a very loving way and made me aware of that. And that, that story is impertinent to this, but here's what is pertinent. I read, I remember the point when I was reading Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 26 to 27, here's what it says. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I thought, oh my gosh. My anger, like I have locks on my doors. Uh, You know, we have password protection on our screens. But what I was doing through my out-of-bounds anger was saying to demons in the whole spirit world, maybe even the devil himself, come on in. Have at it. Because I was the gatekeeper, and that sin was creating a domino effect down the line in my family. And it really became clear one night when all my girls the same night and my wife had the same nightmare about an intruder that came into our home. And one by one, they came and we were talking about this like, You had the dream? Wait, you had the dream? You had that dream? You had that dream? At that point, the domino effect really hit home. At that point, counseling and what the, you know, one thing led to another, because I'm like, I don't care what it's going to take. Like, I have to take this seriously. This can't go forward. Okay? Then, take an inventory. Take an inventory. The next thing he does is, look at verse 6. When I heard their outcry, these charges, I was angry. And then he didn't do what a lot of people do, just act out in anger. He didn't pound out the email and hit send right away. He didn't do the text and hit bam. He took inventory. Look what it says. I pondered them in my mind. In other words, literally in the Hebrew it says, I took counsel with myself. Literally, I talked this over with myself. Before I acted, I called a meeting with myself. Invited God into it. God, here's the problem. What should we do about it? 
And then he went after it and went to the nobles and the officials in the Israelite community and said, you're charging your own people interest. Why did he do this? Because before he was about to point the finger, do not miss this. We'll see this in one second. He realized, I better point the thumb first. I can't point the finger without pointing the thumb at me. Nehemiah, we'll see in about two minutes, he was part of the problem. He was charging interest too. And so just as he was about to step out, he realized, oh my gosh, I'm participating in this sin. I'm part of this. God, what am I going to do about this? I better get my life in order. It's really good to sit and ponder. It's really good to self-examine, especially in the immorality of the pace that we live. We don't get the chance to slow down and ask the hard questions of ourselves. How am I doing? Where are my gauges emotionally, spiritually, physically, intellectually? Am I becoming the person God had in mind when he created me in the first place? Are the relationships that matter becoming all that they should be? So important. We, we just miss this with our breathless pace, taking inventory. Then third, he took action. He took action. Now, we've said this before, but passivity will never give you, passivity will never give you the life that you wanted, ever. God uh, gives us some responsibility in that life. Yeah, it's all up to God. Like, I have grown so much. If my wife was here, she would tell you. I have grown so far in my anger. God has always been the same God in that process. What changed? I changed. God gave me the strength to join him and then gave me the responsibility to do something about it. Do you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says? It says this, By the grace of God, I am who I am. But his grace to me was not without effect. There's grace. It's all grace, right? I worked harder than most. Paul goes, yeah, I'm not who I am. I am who I am by the grace of God. And his grace to me is not without effect. I worked hard. A proper response to grace is effort. And then he ends that verse saying, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. Comes back to grace. Is it grace or effort? Grace or effort? Grace or effort? Yes. It's both. It's both. Take action. And that's exactly what he does in verse 8. He calls together a large, look what it says. I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And I said, as far as possible. And that's what God requires of you and of me. As far as is humanly possible. Don't end there, but get there. That's what we need to do. Right? As far as possible, he says. We've bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. And now you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of God and avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? He went for it and said, this has got to stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Do something different, okay? Take action. Lastly, what does he do? He takes responsibility. This authenticity is huge. Look at this, verse 10. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging what? Interest. He confesses his sin before the community and says, I'm part of the problem. 
everybody? And then he says, and it stops today. It stops today. And then he goes on there. And he says, if we want to be blessable, we better live under the boundaries that God's created. I've been outside those boundaries, and I'll be the first to tell you, Nehemiah says, it stops today. I'm getting back in. Some of us are gathered today, and you've been sitting in um, in this whole message and have an awareness of a character issue or a relationship issue that you know isn't right, and you know you have some responsibility in that. And you've been saying in your mind, oh, I'll get to that someday. You've been like I did with my anger, belittling it. Oh, it's not really that bad. It's just an issue or whatever. Can I invite you before you leave this sanctuary? Take it seriously. Today, say, this is going to be a turning point. I am under the conviction of God, and things are going to be different starting today. And God, by your help, and with community, and this is where Stephen's ministry is amazing, amazing to walk with you in whatever hurt, habit, hang-up, relational issue you have. They will walk with you, and Lee said it so well. They're just gifted listeners who embody the Holy Spirit and walk down a road with you. But it has to start with you saying, today it stops. Okay? What's your today? What is it that God's convicting you of? Why did he put you here to gather at 11 o'clock on February the 11th, 2018? To hear this message, to sing these songs. How will it be different when you leave here to enter into your week? So the reason I am bringing this to us as a community is because this. God wants every one of our lives to tower and to endure. God wants our relationships to tower and to endure. But that won't happen unless we build deep on the bedrock of God's word and are flexible enough in the current to sway and to hold true. So relevant to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for Nehemiah chapter 5. Thank you, Lord, that you, uh, yes, yes, you call us to be involved in a work that you're doing, but we don't want to miss the work that you're doing in us in the process. And so as you hit the pause button in our lives, as you get, give us an awareness, Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just be hearers today, but doers. Thank you so much that your grace is sufficient to meet us every step of the way. And with your conviction comes your love. Father, I pray that we would have a new resolve to live within your boundaries, to live under the canopy of your blessing. And Father, I pray as a community that you would do a work in us as we uh, face some realities that are coming our way, that you would guide us, please. We need you and love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.